My name is Mike from Westminster, Massachusetts, and my UFO experience happened on a warm day in May of 2009. My wife and I had just returned from Mother's Day brunch. At the time, my wife was seven months pregnant with our soon-to-be daughter. It had been a fun morning visiting with family, but my wife was tired and decides to lie down. I thought to myself, what a great opportunity to sit on my front porch, have a cold one, and listen to some music. And catch a few innings of the Boston Red Sox broadcast. As I sat down on my favorite porch chair, I noticed three objects in the distance above my city's downtown. At first, I thought they were balloons, but they were moving too erratically in a pattern like a zigzag. It was a mild day with no wind, so to move in such a pattern struck me as odd. At this time, toy drones had gained popularity so I thought it was probably some kids testing out their new toys. Then I got a good look at one of the objects as it approached my location. It had ceased its erratic movement and was just hovering and slowly coming my way. It was shaped like a hockey puck and bronze in color. Then the color began to change to almost a gold, then brown, and bronze again. The oddest thing of all was it was changing shapes from a hockey puck to almost an oval shape. Pitcher and egg turned on its side. The second object was about 200 yards behind the first and began to approach in my general direction. The best way I can describe it would be a large black triangle sitting on a large black square. The triangle almost looked like a church steeple and had a red light at its highest point. The final object, which was at least five miles behind the first two, was hard to make out other than being circular, black, and continuing its erratic movements. Air was mild and there was no chance of heat distortion or haze causing some sort of aerial illusion. I was in a state of disbelief and curiosity, but at no point was I afraid. I grew up very close to an Air Force base and have seen every manner of aircraft, both commercial and military. They were too small to be planes, but too large to be drones. I wanted to run inside and grab my phone that was charging so I could record these objects, but was worried that as soon as I did, they would be gone. And just like that, they began to move in a westerly pattern towards the hills on the outskirts of my city. I ran over to the next street, just a glimpse of them disappearing behind a tree line. I don't tell many people about this story. I always kind of felt that whatever I saw was between myself and it. 
I consider myself to be a good Christian man who is rationally minded. I still can't figure out what I saw that day. Can you? Can you? Howdy campers, welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad, a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. We are your camp counselors, Woody Brown and Tyler Benz. What's up, brother? Hey, man. How's it going? Uh, it's going very, very well, mm-hmm. man. So first, I just want to say thank you to Mike for sending us that story. Mm-hmm. Man, we've been holding on to it for a while now. Just like some of the other uh, listeners who have sent in submissions, fear not, because we have purposely, wait, there's a purpose behind our... Mm-hmm. Uh, a method behind the madness. A method behind the madness. Yeah. Okay. I knew where you were going. So thank you so much, Mike for sending that but i'm super stoked today man because one of the things that we love to talk about here at camp rad strangeness Mm -hmm. of course are ufos oh yeah we've both been big fans but as with most things i have been a bigger fan for even longer than woody uh my friend jesse and i used to be obsessed with ufos we actually had a ufo sighting uh on my birthday in the fourth grade which by the way dude we forgot last week because when we recorded last week's episode, what I you know forgot that it was going to be released the day before your birthday. So listeners, mm. join me together because mm-hmm. we wish Tyler, who by the time you're listening to this has already had his birthday, but happy birthday! Thank you, pal. Thank you. Good fellow, for I'm being he. virtually okay. lifted up on the shoulders of our fans. Oh man, I love <clears> it. <throat> Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, 39. Uh, Come on, is it tough? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm actually 41. Big time. It's a good number, dude. Um, yeah, I'm over the the hill, over the precipice. I mean, I can't wait until I, you know, get into my 40s. Um, being 35 is tough. You've been you know, in your, your friend 40s is 41. Since 99. Then, first off, I'm 41 right now. We're not getting into it. We're talking about aliens and UFOs today. Yes. Now, here's yes. something that I don't know if you know this, dude. Mm-hmm. But did you know that Massachusetts, which, by the way, absolute miracle every time I spell that word that I spell it correctly. But yes, did you same. know that Massachusetts is ranked like 17th out of all 50 states in terms of the highest amount of UFO sightings. Wow. Is that like a MUFON report? Well, I think it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. MUFON and then like some, you know. Mm -hmm. um, Which, by the way, for all you newbies out there, MUFON stands for Mutual UFO Network. And so it's sort of a database for... Uh, if you have a sighting or an experience, you call in or email or get on the website, MUFON, and you record or fill out this little questionnaire. I've done it once, actually. And it's actually pretty cool because they literally send a field investigator. 
that's in your area out to your house and they take all these notes. It's, it's really actually pretty amazing. Mm. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's where these findings, uh, I'm guessing are coming from. Yeah. 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 It's an incredible resource, man. And Mm -hmm. if you've never heard of it or if you have, and you just haven't kind of dug deep in a while, Dude, it's always fun to like look up your area or oh, an awesome. area that you're going to this summer. Mm-hmm. You know, if you guys are planning a road trip, like we kind of, I guess, romanticized over the past couple of weeks in our episodes, mm-hmm. take a look at where you're going. See what kind of, you know, interesting UFO experiences have happened in those mm-hmm. towns. Actually, man, speaking of road trips, not to derail it, I am headed out to Yellowstone mm-hmm. pretty soon in the next couple weeks mm-hmm. uh, so pretty psyched about it if you guys know of anything crazy or cool that i need to check out my wife's like massive fan of of uh like the national parks and has all this stuff planned and um some of them got derailed due to like the flooding and washed out a bunch of the roads and stuff but uh but i'm i'm super psyched it's gonna be yeah. cool and i think a large majority of this stuff is kind of still open and stuff so yeah it's like the be- north loop is closed down i think It'll be cool, and you know, potentially, if this is the last time we hear from you, and then we'll just end up diving deeper together, the listeners and I, yeah. on the missing four one one stuff. And yeah, I was going to say, if, you, I, bro. If, if I do disappear, I want you all to reach out to a man by the name of David Politis and mm-hmm. get him on the case. We're on it. Mm-hmm. Okay, hopefully that doesn't happen, but just in case, you never know. Okay, so first off, man, let's talk about Mike's specific. Mm-hmm. event here. One of the things that I found really kind of interesting, honestly, was that so often when you're hearing or reading about these UFO encounters, what time of day are you? Are they usually occurring? Usually it's at night. Nighttime, right? Yeah. And, and it's dark and it's just big bright lights and stuff. Sort of light phenomenon. Sorry to cut you off. It's, it's, uh, it's usually just light phenomenon. You're not right. really seeing much of the actual thing. Right. I mean, there are some, you know, like, because it's so bright, I guess that's the common trope is just like, there's this flood of light. And then Mm -hmm. that's when like the loss of time happens and yada, yada, yada. But with this one, you know, it happened like kind of during the day, early evening, late afternoon. And I found first, that was the first kind of detail that stood out to me, Mm -hmm. you know, apart from, you know, him obviously being a a Red Sox fan, which is fine. But, (laughs) uh, so the fact that he kind of had this experience in the middle of the day mm-hmm. was really kind of striking to me. And immediately, one of the first things that I did was look up, you know, Westminster, Massachusetts, mm. UFO sightings, mm-hmm. 2009, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't really see anything else. And so there's a lot of things, there, there's a lot that that means. Number one, so often, just like Mike said in his story, he kind of kept the story to himself, really. He hasn't really shared it much. And so, again, dude, thank you so much for yeah. sharing it with us and allowing us to share it with our listeners. I know it means the world to them. It certainly means uh, the world to us. Mm-hmm. But so many people like yourself, Mike, I think are too timid to tell their story for fear that they're going to be you know, perceived as a crazy person or a lunatic or somebody that's just like, hmm, you believe in that stuff? Yeah. You know? And... I Which think, is really unfortunate because there's actually a pretty large percentage of of people that have had, you know, whether it's something as simple as just like a little sort of weird anomalous light in the sky that maybe had 
a different behavior as like a falling star or shooting star or whatever. Mm-hmm. Once you really start digging, you find that a lot of people have had similar experiences, but yet there's still that stigma that that comes along with it and it makes people hold off. And they they a lot of people just go to their graves with never telling anybody. Yeah. Here's something that's kind of neat, man. According to statistics, uh, now this is like a from compiled from the National UFO Reporting Center and MUFON, mm-hmm. uh, that almost three-quarters of all UFO sighting reports in the U.S. occur between 4 p.m. and midnight. Now, the, and the peak being between 9 and 10 p.m. So what's interesting, and, mm-hmm. and Mike didn't give us an exact time, but just it's either super rare, like that one-fourth, you know, a, a, just a quarter of the time of these sightings, he experienced something that's relatively rare, I'll say, yeah. you know, in terms mm-hmm. of the timing. And I just found it super fascinating when he was describing, you know, the way that the craft was, you know, seemingly changing colors and shapes and there was more than one. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it was gone. And I just thought it was super, super fascinating. And and like I said, one of the first things that I did was, well, let me see if there's anything else that's happening in Westminster. Mm. So what I found were a couple of things. Now, in future or other episodes, I'll say there are some pretty... I'll say relatively popular and or famous UFO encounters slash abductions that have occurred in Massachusetts. We're not going to really, I'm not going to kind of go into those. I initially was until I found these pretty interesting uh, sightings that happened in Westminster. Mm. So the first one happened in 1950. Man, I love it. I love it already. Those old ones just, they just do it for me. It was the fall of 1950, and just like Mike, it actually occurred, well, it, it didn't occur late at night. Okay, so this is another sort of somewhat rarish one. Hmm. And it happened in the fall of 1950. 13-year-old Betty Aho had left the house to play when she saw an object like a moon grow larger. Whoa. She, she was then unable to move. She suddenly found herself inside a white room, feeling extremely relaxed. Then, three small beings glided toward her. The beings were humanoid, two and a half to three feet tall, with gray skin, large oval-shaped heads, and huge black oval-shaped eyes. What? What? Yeah. They wore silvery white coveralls, which seemed to blend with the mist and the bright light in the room. They reassured her, and one raised his hand, and she felt sleepy. She floated with the beings into a cold, misty room where she was suspended in midair over a box-like table. The beings placed globes of light by her head and feet, and then beams of light closed in a square around her. The beings escorted her to a dark room where two more beings met her. They were about five feet tall and wore gray coveralls. She was greeted by name and told she was going to take a ride. Dude, is this not insane, man? Jeez. Okay. Yeah. They laid her on a large, round cushion and fitted a mouthpiece device around her tongue. A being relieved her discomfort by laying a hand on her forehead. She began spinning and felt acceleration. A mist fell on her and lights flashed through a glass dome above her. This is so weird, man. Her craft crashed into a body of water and came out. She saw a great tunnel, apparently made of ice, where crystals held a collection of humans dressed in various ethnic and historical costumes, much like a museum. Hollow Earth, bro. 
Oh my gosh, dude. She left the craft and entered a dark, misty region filled with objects resembling UFOs. A taller being then escorted her through a subterranean conduit as she approached her destination, which was this great door in a glass wall where she was to meet, quote, the one. She then had this, like, out-of-body experience and entered through this door. The events inside this room remained a secret. Soon, a tall human with white hair and dressed in white, luminous robes directed her to another clamshell transport. When she emerged, a tall humanoid being escorted her to a mine tunnel where several small beings cut blue stones from a wall. She re-entered a craft, and a being had her operate this, like, console, where she then floated onto a table. The beings then apparently removed her right eye and implanted a tiny device deep within her head. She was then extensively examined and scanned. Following other procedures, she was promised that she could go home. Her next memory was of being on a field near her home, near a landed craft that was shaped like a sphere of reflective metal and was standing on three legs. Beams of solid light were coming from the top and stopped as if chopped off. A door and a sunburst emblem were also visible. She crossed the field with a taller being in front and two smaller beings behind that were carrying these like luminous globes. The taller being told her that they were watching over her and she and that she had to forget this experience. So that was 1950, dude. Okay, so I I gotta I gotta get right in on this. So to you, this what's funny is like me sort of being like into this stuff for so long. Mm-hmm. The the first like sort of definitive, you know, abduction story, if you will, is the Betty and Barney Hill case, which yeah. Uh, happened in 1961 mm-hmm. in New Hampshire, an interracial couple, yada, yada, yada. They went through hypnosis. You can find like the the audio of, um, of mm-hmm. Barney uh, mm-hmm. going through the hypnosis and like the the regression. And it is so terrifying. terrifying. It is I'm terrifying. pretty sure we talked about it on the show last year. I think we briefly did. It's definitely uh, an episode that we, I mean, it's definitely either a one or two episode Mm-hmm. topic because it's it's like a very pivotal kind of part in ufo lore but the thing that blew my mind is number one i've never heard about this number two this was a 10 years before the betty and barney hill case mm-hmm. and she's There's describing basically grays yeah yep. which i didn't think came really until like much much later i mean obviously like Willie Strieber with communion and all, but like the grays and and even the the idea that like four people that have had these abduction cases where, you know, they see these gray aliens. And when we say grays, we mean, you know, big giant heads, really short little guys, big black eyes, almond shaped, uh, usually no ears, maybe two dots or like two little holes for nose, nostrils, very small mouth. You know, that's kind of taken over, you know, sort of, the abduction scenario. That's like what people see nowadays. You know, it right. used to be, and we always go down this rabbit hole. It used to be fairy abductions and then it sort of leads into the grays. And and we're still in an era where people are seeing like the grays. Mm-hmm. And well, so even before that, dude, in history, coming back to um, Jacques Vallée's Passport mm-hmm. to Pagonia, yep. you know, th- there's, you know, like you said, there's the fairy abduction stuff. And mm-hmm. then before that was like, you know, People like heavenly beings, yeah, the space people brothers. in white, and then like oh well, yeah, that. people coming down. I think it was like I want to say like 
man, 1400s or something where there was this description of this craft that was in the air full mm-hmm. of like beautiful blonde women mm. came down, took them in, would leave. Sometimes they would come back with the men. Sometimes they never would. You know, the idea being that maybe they were using them for like breeding purposes. Right. I mean, you just hear about all kinds of just super rad stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the the thing that struck me is the fact that she's talking. So one of the sort of common tropes of the gray abductions are there's always like a taller one that's kind of like the leader. Mm-hmm. And then the smaller ones, which are sort of like the worker bees, I I cannot believe I've never heard of this case because it's she's literally describing the same thing that like people in the 70s, 80s, 90s were talking right. about. Because if you look at it, like I said, like the Betty and Barney Hill case was a really big deal. And that was the first big sort of, you know, the big sort of abduction case where you you got to you got a lot more details than all the others. But the the grays going that far back is like blew my mind. I didn't know mm. that, that that went back. Th- because the thing is, is like back then, you know, 40s, 50s, I mean, 1947 was like the Roswell crash. You know, you had the idea of like the grays, but mm-hmm. to have, uh, or, or you, not the idea, you had some of the like details that would maybe like maybe point to grays. But you, as far as like an abduction scenario, like, to me, this is the only one that I can think of. Yeah. You know? And I'll put up the, uh, I guess, the source in our podcast notes, mm. the show notes. Now, when there was a detail that I didn't totally understand. So when you said, I mean, there's a lot of like, she went in here and then got out and got in this thing and then went out. And then yeah. like. It, it was it was kind of like, uh, I don't like know. Like a subterranean. I mean, it seems like maybe they transported transported her to like a specific location and mm-hmm. there was a bunch of different like things or crafts that she had to get in and and do mm-hmm. to end up at that door or, or, or whatever we'll call it a uh, she didn't say this but we'll call it a portal mm-hmm. because she she described this out of body experience and then like doesn't remember what happened in that room and she talks and about like a starburst emblem or something yeah well then it also says something about a craft this is what i was going to ask about that had like three legs yeah so whenever whenever she re-entered this craft coming back home being dropped off in this field it had like three legs that it landed on and then there were like beams of light that you know like you're looking at a normal beam of light and Mm -hmm. eventually just kind of like fades to darkness right just based on I don't know how many lumen, the lumen strength or whatever. You're saying it sort of gradiates out. Yeah, usually gradiates. Diffuses. It it diffuses, correct. Yeah. And you can't until it's not lighting up that area of the sky. Mm -hmm. Well, this was different. The way she described it, it'd be like these beams of light that just hard, hard stop, like hard cut off, boom, in the middle, in up in the air. I mean, is that like tractor beams? Dude, I don't know, man. You know? It's, it's just, and then like she described like, oh, she was going to meet, quote, the one. Yeah. And see, I wonder if that was, uh, again, that kind of leads back to that, you know, your like taller gray alien, which a lot of times like that would be like the, I mean, not always, but the quote unquote like female one would be like the tall one. And then the smaller sort of, you know, like worker class would be the ones who would like, you know, strap them in or hook machines up to them. Uh, I also think that it was really interesting, especially, again, like 1951, 
the idea that, or 1950, sorry, that they took her right eye out and put like an implant. Mm -hmm. Like the idea of like implants back in 1950, I mean, that that was something that I'm sure wasn't a common, you know, sci-fi trope or something you would see in, in, you know, movies or whatever at the time. That's, I, I always, well, we both like to do this. We, we always like to look at, you know, try to look at these things through the lens of a, of a, an everyday person living in the fifties. So it's like, oh, well, they could have got this idea from, you know, this right. book or this movie that was, was out at the time. But man, this, it's really interesting because like what he was saying, it's like, you know, we go from space brothers to celestial beings to, or I mean, sorry, we go from yeah. fairy, fairy abductions, uh, celestial beings to like these space brothers that, you know, they look like Greek or Italian and they have like basically wetsuits on. Uh, hey, what's going on, Earthlings? <laughs> sort of like an injured cold type situation, but. Uh, but again, I'm just... They're only wearing like Gucci and Armani like <laughs> wetsuits. <laughs> what do you think? They got a lot of like gold chains. Yeah, dude. Just like, the you know, they're in these like wetsuits, but their damn, sh their shoes look freaking oh, yeah. magnificent. Yeah. And they're very low Vs, so it's like a lot of chest hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. But no, like just this idea, number one, of the greys. Number two, she's already talking about implants. Mm -hmm. I mean, man, this... It's just so ahead of its time. Well, I mean, for sure. And I you mean, you got me on this one. But yeah, so that happened 59 years before Mike saw anything in Westminster. But I got something else that's going to be real short here. Mm. Something else in Westminster, man. Wow. Essentially, this is just like, just like MUFON or whatever. That mm -hmm. other one, same thing. It had like this long sort of description. It's like date, fall, 1950, mm -hmm. day slash night, morning, location, you know, number mm -hmm. of entities, five. I actually really like that's like the move on journal yeah. like they'll entity description two and a half to three feet tall gray skin large oval shaped heads huge go. black oval shaped eyes wore what silvery year is white coveralls 1950 um Man. i mean just a uh, uh, high neck classification ce4 close encounter four abduction of the witness or another direct contact and you know what that means the high neck thing right that's j allen Heineck, the head mm. of project blue book yep He's the guy who came up with ball lightning and swamp gas and then mm. basically sent out by the government to debunk this stuff. But in reality, after he did it for so long, he started realizing like, wait a minute, I can't I can't yeah. come up with these these silly excuses anymore. There is actually a legitimate mm -hmm. there's dude, something almost, going on. Dude, it's just like that movie that we talked about a couple weeks ago where that lady is going to debunk these people that are doing like seances and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then in the interim, ends up landing in the middle of this like supernatural experience, which is kind of right. cool. All mm -hmm. right, this one, this actually happened five years after Mike's uh, sighting in Westminster. Okay, listen to this. So this happened Wednesday, September 3rd, 2014. The shape, cylinder. Duration, undisclosed. Source, move on. Okay, here's what it says. Here's what the report is. I was driving northwest along Route 2A outside of Westminster, Massachusetts. I saw what I thought was a small, bright object emerge from a cloud. On first glance, I thought I was looking at an aircraft. It was small and bright and appeared to have a condensation trail. However, as the object moved, the part that I thought was the condensation trail moved with it remaining consistent in size and shape and moving in tandem. Mm. 
For a split second, the whole object glowed as brightly as the one end, then returned to its original configuration. It made me think of a transparent flashlight, except that the end giving off light did not produce a beam. Hmm. My overall impression as regards to size and distance was that the object was quite distant and definitely larger than a school bus. And that's it. Wow. The reason I dove into the, like that dude is I had this, I don't know, it's like I, I had this thought, this idea, as I was kind of thinking about Mike's story and just letting my mind sort of just like, what do I want to talk about? What do I, what do I want to look up? Mm-hmm. This This fascination, I have this fascination with the possibility of maybe specific locations being of interest oh, yeah. to visitors. I'll just call them visitors. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows if they're alien from another dimension, from another time, mm-hmm. heaven, maybe they're from, you know, celestial or whatever. Mm-hmm. Why are they going here? And do things happen at the same place at different times? Man, I don't know, dude. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that sort of, that sort of concept? I mean, I bet... When you look at like a UFO map, like if uh, this one site kind of has, you know, almost based on like where you type in, it'll mm-hmm. just have like little icons of UFO reports. And if I'm right. just looking at Massachusetts, for example, dude, it's it's just peppered with it, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you did that for the whole US, you would just see it peppered throughout. Right. It's just yeah. interesting to me, I guess, that there could be some reason why either these things are being seen a lot in a certain area or I guess maybe a higher concentration of, uh, of sighting and stuff. Yeah. So I, a couple things, I think John Keel, who's Mothman prophecies, the guy that would, would write that and go on to be a, a hero in this field. He would refer to those as window areas where, hmm. like you said before, almost like a portal, you know, if we're looking at these things as interdimensional or, I mean, even literally like inner earth, you know, it's like these little hot spots. I mean, you t- we talked last week about, what was it called? The tri- the triangle? Yeah, the just the, the uh, Michigan triangle. Yeah, the Michigan triangle. It's, it's similar to like the, it's like the Bridgewater triangle. It's these little areas that, that have just this like heightened activity going on, whether, and what's interesting too, is I bet if you really, I'm not super familiar with Massachusetts, but as far as like the paranormal and stuff, but Mm -hmm. I guarantee that if you really break it down and you really start cross-referencing the amount of, you know, UFO sightings or Bigfoot sightings, I guarantee there's like correlation between the two. And usually it's those hot spots that are producing all kinds of bizarre, Mm -hmm. you know, phenomena. Yeah, one thing that I was going to say is like, man, Massachusetts is definitely a place that we're going to dive in deeper. I mean, gosh, we haven't even begun to talk about some of the paranormal stuff that happens, you know, oh, in yeah. and around like Salem and oh, you know, for sure. all these kind of things, man. Oh, and like that section of the country is another place that like is just fascinating, you know. Again, it comes back to us being down here in the South, a lot of this stuff, buildings even, aside from like Savannah and like mm-hmm. maybe Charleston and that kind of stuff are just like new. Massachusetts and, and all these places, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they were some of the first places that, that, uh, settlers went to. Yeah. Right. And so like, there's all kinds of old, you know, stuff just in those cities, man. Some really rad strangeness stuff is just oh yeah, begging for us to be, uh, it's rife. <laughs> there it is. 
or ripe. What, what, Just come or, on, man. Whatever. No, absolutely. Uh, but with like those window areas, you know, it's interesting because, uh, and actually I'm going to bring up something that I had this thought the other day. And I think okay. you and I talked about it, but I don't think I've been, talked about it on the show. But I had this idea that, okay, so say we're looking at these window areas or portals, you know, and again, mm-hmm. if you're, you're not a real true believer on this stuff, if you're kind of on the fence, that's okay. you know, just go with us. Just go yeah, with us on this. That's okay. Just enjoy the ride. That's what we yeah. do. That's, we're just talking about it for fun. Yeah, you're talking about a bunch of Italians that come down from an aircraft with wetsuits on. You're like, hey, man, there's no ocean around here. They said, hey, take it easy. Throw down the anchor. <laughs> anyway, so just suspend your disbelief for a minute. Okay, so say that there these window areas or portals or whatever are a legitimate thing. Mm-hmm. Well, then, then we look at, okay, well, why is this? Okay. A lot of people believe, you know, we've talked, uh, when we were talking about uh, the Coral Castle episode. Mm-hmm. Season 2, episode 23, the Coral Castle. You know, we talked about uh, ley lines or these little spots of like earth energy and how they, these sort of lines sort of intersect and go across the globe. And a lot of these lines are like, you know, you'll have Stonehenge, but then like all the way across the globe, like, you know, Chichen Itza and, you know, these these massive sort of holy uh, structures in like Peru, they all sort of line up and like the, you know, the 33rd parallel and all this kind of stuff. I had this thought the other day of, okay, let's, let's go way back. Let's go back to those early civilizations. Okay. You know, it's like, how did these people, how... How did they know? How, like, how were they sensitive enough to 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 know? Okay, well, we need to build Stonehenge here yeah. because it's gonna it has the most sort of uh, you know quote unquote energy or uh, mm. it's perfectly aligned and all this stuff or like you know a holy temple that would be in like you know South America or, mm-hmm. or, or you know and it's this idea that th- those would be the people that would be you know, your shamans or your, Mm -hmm. your priest, if you will, where they would, you know, feel these locations. They would know like where to go. It's almost like not, not to turn into like a Star Wars episode, but it's almost like they're like quote unquote force sensitive or like sensitive to that spiritual energy or of any energy. Mm -hmm. Man, I, I like that idea because I mean, folks, we're talking about a time when, Again, you can't just send a text message or look at an mm-hmm. Instagram picture of where they put this temple and, oh, okay, well, I'll do the calculations and place hours that's on the other side of the world right? in line with this. Right. We're talking about stuff that is definitely a mystery. Mm-hmm. Now, folks like us like to think about, well, maybe it's paranormal. Maybe it's like, hey, dude, maybe it's some sort of heavenly energy that mm-hmm. just, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of influence. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of like our our quest, right, is to mm-hmm. think about that stuff together with you guys and gals, the listeners and campers here at Camperhead Strangeness. Now, mm-hmm. I've got another theory about these windows. Well, ho- well you- hold on. Before we go into that. After these messages, we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very intense For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. Hey, this is Bryce Johnson from the Bigfoot Collectors Club, and you're listening to Tyler and Woody on That Would Be Rad, because that is rad. So my... <sighs> well, I wasn't even finished. It's cool, man. No, what the reason I brought that up is I was saying, uh, I was listening to a podcast, and it was talking about how there's there's people now that are highly, highly sensitive and affected by like Wi-Fi or radio signals. And so much so that like, you know, some of these people, it makes them tremendously sick. Like it, it's almost basically like radiation poisoning. So much so that some of these people literally have to, you know, move out in the middle of nowhere, get off the grid. They have to have basically these like little boxes of or cover their their phones or whatever with tinfoil. They're, they're so sensitive that it's it's like harmful to live in the modern age you know with technology so this thought that pops in my head was what if those people you know now in the modern age where it's a it's a negative thing to be ultra sensitive to this stuff what if those are the people that back in the day were the people that were sensitive enough to be able to feel these earth energies and ley lines and and window areas like what if those are the same people? Yeah. I just think that's a fascinating like, you, you idea. You mean like maybe they're like genetically related to these people or they just have the same ability? Well, I think I think if just looking at it as like these people, okay, so say say it is kind of like the force. Say they're overly sensitive, you know, in the modern world, you know, surrounded by radio waves and mm-hmm. Wi-Fi and signals and stuff. It It's like a detriment to them. It, it like... It maybe hurts that's why. Maybe that's why it hurts them because they're that sensitive to these that's energies. That's what I'm saying. That's what I I'm love saying, it, dude. I love it. Yeah, man. That's so, cool. so what? What if these people nowadays who are just overly sensitive and in pain all the time, those would be the same people that would be your shamans and your priests that would lead your tribes and set up places in these in these places of of power or whatever mm. because they could feel it. They were sensitive enough to feel it, dude. Pretty cool. I love that. Now, dude, I mm-hmm. promised, listener, this was unplanned. And Tyler, I had this article that I was not even going to bring up today, dude. Oh, but man. you, th- this is, it's like, you Synchronicity. know. Synchronicity. It is, man. Synchronicity abounds. It does abound because, like I said, dude, you literally, I mean, you laid this up perfectly. Okay. So, <laughs> because of what you just said, mm-hmm. <clears throat> this article the headline reads, I can speak to aliens after visiting in the ancient pyramid. Are Using you their kidding se- me? No, I'm not kidding, dude. Using their secret language, I am bringing a message for all mankind. Okay, wow. listen to this. A woman has claimed she can communicate with aliens after visiting an ancient pyramid 
and says she has a message for mankind. The bizarre claim was made by Mafi Walker, who's 45, who says she speaks a secret alien language after a recent trip to the ancient city, or I'm sorry, to the ancient Teotihuacan. I don't know. I don't know how to say it right. I think to the ancient pyramids outside of Mexico City. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Colombian TikToker who has posted a video explaining that while she was at the site, aliens gifted her with the ability to communicate with them. Since then, she has shared a series of clips of herself standing outside various locations, speaking Mm. the, quote, secret language. The woman can be seen speaking a mixture of gibberish, Spanish, and English. Boy, you can hear I love that the author just hold, just doesn't even hold back. The woman, the woman can be seen, yeah, speaking a mixture of gibberish, Spanish, and English, but she has never explained why she films these videos. One of her followers commented, "The aliens? Well, we didn't say that. That's how the gossip starts." Mm-hmm. So, another one said, "I already realized that the aliens are very loving. They love each other and they love us." Taking that out, so boring. Mm-hmm. Um, One of the other comments on the video says, I tried to repeat what he said and ended up summoning three demons. Two things wrong with that. One, they called the lady a he and also three demons. Okay. Yeah, I was confused. I was like, didn't you say she? The 45-year-old also claims to be a medium for the message of the extraterrestrials are trying to send to the human race. It's so easy to to just, especially like the the new agey stuff. It's so easy to like put that down. But at the end of the day, it's like, why wouldn't those people be well, the ones? Yeah, here's here's where it starts to get a little bit on the sketch. Oh, she boy. said the aliens want to contact humans because they feel immense love. The woman also claims she has managed to enter other dimensions and says that her body generates vibrations through a special frequency that oh, she boy. she admit, emits, and that's how she's able to connect with the aliens. She also says mm. that she works as a medium and offers sessions for seventy five dollars mm. per person so uh, there may be a monetary i'm just saying I, I i had this like on the back burner for just some just to bring up at some point because yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it's new it's in the news mm-hmm. and when you started talking about you know the ley lines and the ancient temples and people being sensitive it's like holy oh crap. no it's, it's <laughs> right on yeah no i it's hard to like so i've I, especially if I mean, which I'm sure most of the our listeners are people who have lived through the 90s and mm-hmm. and, you know, it's like like such the height of like the new age movement. And it's like you always hear this like, oh, you've got to raise your vibrations. And it's mm-hmm. like, I, yes, I agree with you. I we're we're, you know, vibrating and like we're like I get all that as far as like the the, you know, physiology and the molecules and atoms and all that stuff but it's just especially you have all that like then associated with she also gives medium readings for 70 dollars it's like Mm -hmm. that's when it starts to get a little bit yeah yeah but we got to make our money somehow i get it but yeah yeah true you know i don't know and and, you know like a lot of that stuff you, you know i'll say like there's several different categories of folks, you know, the absolute like skeptic about mm-hmm. anything, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's even like religious ideas. They're just like, nope, boom, okay. Especially with this kind of like UFOs, aliens, Bigfoot. I and I get it, man. I understand. Mm-hmm. Then there's folks that are like kind of like in the middle of it all, which is sort of like, look, it's interesting. 
to hear about. It's interesting to think about, but I don't know what I think, you know? Mm-hmm. And then there's like firm believers that are like, no, 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 because how else can you explain it? And again, mm-hmm. I get that. And then there's people that are just like, I believe everything, you know? Right. It doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. And so I think in that sort of spectrum of belief level, mm-hmm. I'm sort of in, I would categorize myself as somebody that just loves to to read about it, to think about it, to 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 enjoy the ideas. And who knows, right? I mean, at the end of the oh, day, yeah. who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I will say, you know, as a, a longtime fan of, of all this stuff, it is interesting to, it's interesting to me to like look back on, on my sort of, sort of personal journey or history of like, you know, what I believe these things were. I, I feel like, you know, and I, I guess this is somewhat of a common quote, but I feel like the older you get, the more you realize like the less that you truly know, you know? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like in the 90s at the height of like X-Files and when all this was like hitting like mainstream, you know, the the public zeitgeist, I, w- I was 1,000% convinced that maybe a little bit of the stuff is sort of, government reverse engineering, you know, Bob Lazar, Area 51, that kind of thing. But the majority of it is 100%, you know, space aliens from other galaxies and and this and that. And it is funny that now it's completely different. Now it's, you know, more of like, uh, you know, interdimensionals or ultra dimensionals, as Jacques Vallée would say. You know, and it's this this like tie-in with with these like accounts and beings that happened like long before we were ever here, mm. you know, in the modern age. So, and I got to say, man, like before I read that book, mm-hmm. you could have told me that. I would have been like, yeah, dude, whatever. Right. So, like, if you're listening to what Tyler just said and, and, and you're thinking the same thing that I just described, mm-hmm. I really encourage you to get uh, Jacques Vallée's book, Passport to Magonia, because, mm-hmm. you know, honestly, the first half of the book is him detailing and explaining these and presenting the information without any sort of bias. Um, without, I mean, certainly without any bias other than just like, hey, folks, isn't this interesting? Read this information mm-hmm. of these accounts because he, and I think a lot of people get disappointed by the fact that the book sort of ends and he hasn't given you his thesis, you know? Right. And then the last half of the book is just hundreds and hundreds of pages of just dates, location, yeah, and like a small mini description of these things. And Which is awesome. It's like a hundred years worth of stuff, man. Yeah, you know, also uh, every single time we talk, we bring up Jacques Vallée, I kind of feel bad because he's he's continued writing. Yeah, uh, I know. I and, know. I, and there's so many new books of his that I, I haven't, yeah. we haven't There's read. like a trilogy too that like it's in my Amazon cart right the now. The No joke. Thing? I don't. It might be, dude. I don't know. I, I need to because uh, there's another. He has another like. It's not passport to Magonia, but it's something tied in with the. Yeah, Magonia and I've been thing. meaning to dive in, but guys, there's so many books. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, I have a little story. It's nothing too crazy, but boy, I mean, since we're, we're I mean, we're do just, we need to do we need to get into it? Should we, we save it? We definitely need to get into it. It's pretty short, okay. but I think it's going to add an even more interesting sort of bizarre take on uh, yeah but hold on gosh dude i completely forgot to tell you what my 
idea about the windows are, real quick. Oh, right, right. Okay, so, so real quick. You interrupted me and then I. You know. Yeah, yeah, so now we're even. Okay, mm-hmm. it's not really like a theory, it's just a, it's just a thought. It's something that popped in my head while you were talking about it. Okay, there's an issue I have with a lot of Star Wars movies. One of them, Whoa. <laughs> one of them is that, well, I'll say as a kid, I had an issue because I couldn't understand like, okay, they're going to Tatooine, right? Mm-hmm. That's an entire planet, dude. Right. Right. So how do they know where Moss Eisley is and like all these places when, you know, it's just a humongous planet. What What else is going on on that planet? Mm. You know? So I thought about like, okay, well, they have the coordinates to those locations, mm-hmm. right? And so like these windows would be sort of like, hey, we know these coordinates and we know how to get to Earth and be there. But mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. it, it's like a waypoint where they can go and that's why potentially it just occurs. There's a lot of occurrences in that or those locations, and then gradually over time, they kind of spread out, you know, mm. or they just travel within the planet, you know, just mm-hmm. in our own atmosphere. And that's why people see them in a lot of different places. Anyway. Well, no, no, no. You, you know, that is actually one of the things that bothered me about Obi-Wan. And I'm not giving anything away, but the Inquisitors, they're operating, you know, through the dark side of the force. So why would they have not been able to like pick up on this Obi-Wan in hiding when he was well, okay, like... okay, dude, I'm so glad you 20 asked feet away. Ann and I just had this conversation last night. hmm Okay. She was listening to something and, like, one guy was saying, like, had a problem with the fact that, like, come on, man, you're telling me that just because he hasn't used the Force in, like, 10 years, he's forgotten right. it all? Yep. Dude, he has buried that Force sensitivity and, like, just being able to tap into it so deep so that he can hide from people mm-hmm. that are looking for anybody that's force sensitive because essentially they're being like exterminated, right? He, he hid his light under a bushel. <laughs> yes. Okay. So mm-hmm. that explains that. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I kind of get what you're you saying. You have to, dude. Otherwise, like, because by the time he started using it, then she would be like, huh? I mean, you have to be like really powerful to mm-hmm. be able to like, since right. someone across a galaxy. I mean, when they're in the town and he's like 15 feet away. Yeah, no, I don't know. That's just, where I'm like, come on. Yeah, especially when Vader lands. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Which is pretty amazing, by the way. But yeah, exactly. I, I, that's, yeah. That's, yeah. It doesn't make sense, but sometimes like. You got to suspend it. You got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, look, man. You better get well, when stories. we return, we will return after these messages. Hey, this is Woody. And this is Tyler. And you're listening to That Would Be Rad. And now, back to our show. On July 12th, 1984, Russian cosmonauts aboard the Soviet space station Salyut 7 
were on day 155 of their mission. This was also the day that the group reported strange lights and beings, according to Commander Oleg Atkov and cosmonauts Vladimir Solovyov and Leonid Kizim, the space station was completely bathed in a mesmerizing orange light. It appeared to enter from outside the space station and bled through an absolutely opaque wall. For a short period of time, the orange light was so bright that it blinded the crew. When their vision returned, each one looked out the portholes for the source of light. Looking specifically for a possible explosion, they knew the Salyut 7 had suffered previous fires, but what the crew saw was far more incomprehensible than the orange light. All of the cosmonauts reported seeing the faces of seven angels who were hovering just outside the space station. They told ground control that they were humanoid in appearance, faces and bodies both looked human, but they had misty wings and halos. These beings kept pace with the space station for about 10 minutes before vanishing. On day 167, the crew would then be joined by another team of three cosmonauts from the Soyuz T-12 spacecraft, Svetlana Savitskaya, Igor Volk, and Vladimir Zanibakov. Shortly after joining them, the Salyut 7 was once again bathed in a warm orange light. Then, like clockwork, they immediately looked out the portholes and once again were joined by these angelic beings. They were, were reportedly the size of an airliner, according to cosmonauts. The incident was deemed top secret by the old Soviet Union, and the crew was cautioned not to speak of the event publicly. All of the cosmonauts reported seeing a smiling angel. While some may dismiss the incident as fatigue due to an extended stay in space, there was more than one crew that saw the beings. After the strange incident occurred, the crew went on to stay on the vessel for a record-breaking 237 days before abandoning it. Although there is no conclusive evidence to sustain the case, the Salyut 7 incident was recorded as a collective hallucination. So in the files, it's just Here we go. collective yeah, hallucination. Yeah. In fact, there were two identical collective hallucinations at two different times with different crews. Upon returning to Earth, each of the cosmonauts underwent intense and prolonged examinations, both physical and mental in nature, and all passed these exams and procedures convincingly. In light, nothing indicates or proves that what they saw was a hallucination, and there was no suggestion or reason to suggest that the incident was a collective lie of the Soviets. However, the accounts of the cosmonauts and the incident itself came largely from the reports and research released by the Russian government. And although the incident reached international news, there was no major repercussion, and the incident was soon forgotten. Man. Uh, yeah, and so this was actually put out by the Washington Post uh, back in year? the 80s. Okay, in the 80s. Yeah, so this was in 19, uh, July 12th of 1984 is when the first one happened. Now, dude, this is amazing. A couple reasons why. As Cold War kids ourselves, you know, there's always been this fascination of USA versus, you know, Russia. Ruskies. And Ruskies. Love it. And Cosmonauts. I mean, heck, we had a song called Cosmonaut. Yeah. Probably wouldn't be as popular nowadays. Not not nowadays. Um, (laughs) Thanks, Vlad. Anyways, you know, I hate, out of all of the explanations that get mm-hmm. put on a label and slapped on top of these case files, yeah. the one I hate the most, truly, because like ball lightning, swamp gas and stuff, those are interesting phenomenons anyway that do exist. Right. But the one that makes me furious, dude, is like, I'm supposed to believe that this group of astronauts mm-hmm. 
all suffering from fatigue just happen to hallucinate the same thing? I mean, dude, I had some druggy friends in high school, okay? Yeah. And none of them hallucinated the same thing. Yeah. Well, and, and also, uh, well, on the flip side of that, the mass hallucination explanation, I think there's no greater thing that explains the existence of a simulated reality than that. Well, that's true, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because so it's like... What you're saying is like, if you're going to go down the road of, okay, it was a mass hallucination. You got to open it's like, up. It's like an if-then statement. If there's such thing as mass right. hallucinations, then mm-hmm. we're in a simulation. Yeah, it's it's kind of the same thing is like when when people have like their like uh, they take like ayahuasca and they have the ceremonies or mm-hmm. or like dmt or you know any of that stuff you know they these people for centuries have claimed to see these exact same terence mckenna calls them like the clockwork elves or machine mm-hmm. elves and they all explain machine elves you've never heard of this no joe rogan that sounds like, amazing he's seeing the same thing too which is like all these people see this exact same thing, which again is really crazy. Especially, I mean, should we put up a poll, dude, to our uh, our campers listening to Camp Ranch this year. Should Tyler and Woody go take ayahuasca? I think so. No, although way. I'm actually terrified of it. I am too, man. Now, let me ask you a different question. Let me let me pose it a different way because I think it's illegal, right? Uh, if it was, if it was not an illegal thing, would it be something that you? For me, dude, you already know this answer. I think I I'm not messing with that at yeah. all. Well, although I would have at a time, but I was given a oh god. No, no, no. Listen, I, I was so I suffer really bad from these migraines, and mm-hmm. I was given a what they call a. I was I was sent to the emergency room because I had a migraine that was so bad it was it, I thought I was going to die, and there was a point before I'm on injections now, so I take a shot every month and it totally helps. But up until that point, actually I was on this medication like when it was still in like experimental mm-hmm. rounds or whatever. Uh, I was up, I was getting two to three per week and it was really awful, really miserable time. But anyway, I went to the emergency room and they gave me what is what they call a migraine cocktail, uh, which is a like several medications, but one of the medications is called Reglan. And I tell this for all you people out there, never, ever, ever take this medication. I don't care if we get taken down by Big Pharma. This medication is the devil. And the reason I say this is I've never dealt with anxiety. I've never once had a, a panic attack. I've never had any of these things. And the second they gave this to me, my heart rate went through the roof and they actually had to, I was like almost to the point of like coding to where they had to rush over, give me a shot to bring down my vitals because I was like, like probably going to have like a heart attack. I like, I was, it was really bad. It was really, really bad. And so anyway, after that, even until now, I now deal with this, like a panic disorder kind of thing that like I, um, It'll just come out of nowhere. I know I've told you a case where I was at Disneyland and with my family, everything was awesome. No, not a worry, you know, to to be found. And out of nowhere, I felt like I was going to die, and I had to take three buses, a tram, just to get out of the park. And then I took two Ubers, went to two different urgent cares. It was like the scariest twelve hours 
of my life by myself in mm-hmm. in uh, Orlando, Florida. But anyway, uh, j- in saying all that, sorry to, to ramble, in saying all that, uh, I now have a whole new sort of level of uh, caution or fear mm-hmm. for like, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, if you just do it one time, it's nothing. Yeah, dude. The thing is, like, it affects everything, including medications, dude, affect people in so many different yeah. ways. Like, us being human, you know, I mean, dude, there's people in my family who, you know, they don't even take, like, Tylenol. Right, yeah. Because, like, it just makes them feel crazy. So, like, yeah, man, I'm there with you. Also, just, it's almost like, can I, like, I just want to, that's just... I don't know, man. That stuff kind of freaks me out. I mean, I think, I don't know. I wish there was some way to like just, just digitally. Yeah, dude. Like, yeah. let me let somebody else do it. And let me just see what, what, what's going on. Because a mechanical, what was it? Machine? Elf? Yeah. So they're, they're called like machine elves or clockwork elves. Um, Say no more. Well, no, listen to this. So this is another fascinating thing. So a common thing that, that people see are these like hexagram patterns or like diamond patterns. And what's crazy is if you start looking into some of these accounts, uh, and we're talking people that aren't into any of this stuff. We're talking to like total jocks who just happen to be in Peru, and we're like, let's let's get up and and do an ayahuasca ceremony. They have the same accounts as these other people who are into like you know opening up your third eye and kundalini and all this stuff, and so they they talk about the same thing and a lot of these characters look like your typical gestures. They have these mm. diamond patterns and the Harlequin. And then, you know, it creates a whole, a whole other feedback loop into what we love on the show. Man, it's so bizarre. Yeah. Well, dude, I, I think that uh, what amazing Camp Rad Strangeness segment, mm-hmm. dude. I mean, Mike, again, thank you, man. Thank oh, you so yeah. much for sharing that with us. I mean... I, you know, I kind of want to like find out a couple other things. Like, did you tell your wife about it whenever she woke up from her nap or like when you got done kind of running out to the wood or the tree line and mm-hmm. saw them disappear for the final time? I mean, you mentioned that you weren't scared at all, but were you excited enough to like go and wake your wife up? Did well, talk- Buddy talks about, uh, which is funny. He, he, he mentioned something that is exactly what my buddy Jesse and I, when we saw a UFO way back in the fourth grade, he said, I didn't want to run in to get my phone because I knew I had a feeling that if I came back outside, it would be gone. It was going to be gone. Yeah. 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 And so a lot of people kind of say that same sort of thing. And what's funny is there is a lot of people also have these accounts of, it's like a sentience. It's like, there's something in even me with my like orb story. And again, I was going to put it in this episode, but I think we, we're going to have a full episode yeah. on orbs, I promise. And I'll talk about it. But there's a level of like, quote unquote, the other, uh, as Timothy Renner has uh, affectionately called it, where anything sort of paranormal, it's like there's there's something a lot of times in these accounts. And I don't know if this is particularly like what Mike was talking about, but there is a level of it. these things, this UFO, this anomalous light, this Bigfoot, this alien, whatever – it, they know when we're looking at them mm. and then they, you know, blip out of existence or they fly off or whatever. But that's such a common thing. Uh, I would also like to say for Mike that, man, you are so lucky for being able to see this. And not only just seeing a UFO in general, but you were able to see some of the weird like 
geometric, like mm-hmm. uh, shape like the, changing, yeah. color changing. There was more than one of them. That too. stuff I is mean, amazing, man. Dude, unreal. I wonder you know, if I, I, the first thing I thought of too is like there's so many cases where, like you talked about Woody up, up at the top, where these people see these things at night. I think the Phoenix Lights case had a lot of these where, you know, you'll see like one light. And then it would like split off into two. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's basically what Mike was seeing in the the daytime. He was seeing like the visual of like what's actually happening. Right, right, right. You know? Yeah, no. So I mean, cool. again, man, I was just fascinated by the timing of it, you know, in terms of the time of day. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I wonder too if it's like a situation that as you're experiencing it, your mind is kind of like, ah, that can't be that. You know right. what I mean? And then as it kind of comes back to you later, you're like, oh my gosh, man. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'd am i be interested to kind of hear like sort of the other parts of the story, potentially like, what did your wife think about it? Did, mm-hmm. Was she just like what my wife would do, which would be like, it was probably just an airplane. <laughs> yeah. You well, know? what's funny is my wife and I, you know, I was talking about calling into MUFON and they sent an investigator out. We actually saw a UFO and it was as the sun was going down, it was kind of in, in the daytime. But the weirdest thing is, like, she literally saw the exact same thing that I did. And, I don't know, within a couple weeks, it was, like, already in her mind, she was like, I don't know, it's probably, like, a drone. It's probably, an air, mm. like, an airplane. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like, we were both, like, You guys oh got abducted. She's got an implant in her eyeball. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. Well, cool. Well, what a great episode, like you said. Uh, I'm psyched to just keep going down this rabbit trail. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a bad summer, and uh, we're glad you're with us to uh, to join join us in the ride. If you want to find us, head on over to Instagram. You know, we love the conversation. Drop us a line in the comments. If you want to talk to us about maybe an account you've had, an urban legend in your area, maybe you got abducted, you know, shoot us a DM, or if it's more of a long-form type essay situation head on over to that would be radpod at gmail.com we by the way we're happy to change names and make it and keep it anonymous but yeah right if you want us to use your name and or location in the episode Mm -hmm. we will yeah absolutely you know we love it all we we're sort of collectors at this point and the more the merrier so uh feel free also buy us a coffee and the there's new merch in the Linktree, uh, new that Camp Rad Strange's merch in the Linktree that we're pretty excited about. Yeah, like we always say, go tell a single friend about the show. Mm-hmm. It seems like a really trivial, small thing, but if every one of you listening just went out and told a friend, told your UPS driver, told your your pilot on your airplane, mm-hmm. whatever, like Woody, he, you know, he had several butlers when he was younger. Come on. You know, tell your butler. Not true. Spread the word. Also, go and give us a five-star rating on... I believe Spotify, you can do it now, Apple Podcast. Leave us a review. Tell other people why you like the show. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. It all helps to spread the word. And uh, we can't thank you enough. So, yeah. You got anything else, Woody? I think that's it, man. Other than if you guys want to go down to the waterfront, make sure you take your swim test before 8 p.m. tomorrow. We're going to be getting in the canoes. We're going to be, uh, you know, paddling out, mm. going to the blob. Do you remember mm. the blob, dude? I never, I've never oh, been able to do it. Are you kidding me? I've always wanted to. Well, we're going to have to figure that out. Yeah. I bungee jumped several times, but... Oof, I would never do it. I've never, I would never do it now, but... So, we love you, we appreciate you, and as always, be rad. That's the way it goes.
sunshine You were already dead Before you became a ghost You always said Our future would be a parade of flowers But now all that's left Is a single rose That's the way Valley uh, peanut butter dark chocolate protein bar. Mm, I think those are the ones that got recalled, but okay. Oh, shoot. I mean, it could have been. I got these at like the dollar store. Oh, yeah, dude. Alpha brain. Um, <laughs> oh, and I'm also drinking a rain total body fuel M. white gummy bear flavored uh Energy drink because I'm out of my uh, sugar-free Red Bull. That sounds disgusting. Mm, it's it's actually not bad. My buddy Isaac sent them to me, and it's pretty good. But boy, they're sweet. Can Isaac, hey Isaac, this is uh, this is your friend Woody mm-hmm. speaking. I think it's time to lay off the energy drinks, Isaac. Well, he he likes he sends me like these like sort of weird flavors and like, hey, I'm all for it. I love it. I appreciate it, Isaac. Thank you. And by the way, I don't know how deep he's going to uh, kind of realize I went with that baseball audio that I put in there. It's from May 2009. The audio that I used for his bot whenever I put in, when he's like, a little bit of the Boston Red Sox. And you just yeah. like, she took these on a long way. That's from a game, May that's, of 2009. That's the, the his date? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah, dude. I get crazy with it. Dude, what about the synchronicity? Dude, it's just like synchronicity after synchronicity after synchronicity. Yeah. I love the fact that that, first off, man, like no joke, the fact that, you, you know, I think potentially people can kind of just think of it as trivial, but like it really it does blow my mind when people like send their own voice, number one, tell oh, their yeah. story mm-hmm. and are just like, nah, man, you can say my name, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, don't know, I think that's super cool. It is super cool. Uh, I mean, especially if, you know, like Mike said, especially if it's like I've I've barely told anybody or I've never told anybody, but it's like they they're able to you're able to trust us enough yeah. to put it on a show. That's just mm-hmm. pretty amazing. I mean, can I say like if I was going to get abducted, is oh, it boy. bad to say like I would want it to be like him? They'd just be like hot. I mean, you've been sort of looking forward to like the probe thing for a long time. <laughs> No, but what I'm saying is like, you know, like Jacques Vallée talked about those things coming down for breeding purposes. Mm. 
Man, this is going great, by the way. Are you being sarcastic? No, no, I'm being dead serious. I don't like your tone from the start. No, it sounds great. It's fantastic. <laughs> so when I come out, I'm just going to go straight into reading cool. this thing, okay? And then I want to hear your reaction, too, so, you know. Wow. <laughs> in July 1980, well, in July 12th, wow. on July, <laughs> wow. All right, man, That's I gotta not go. going to make the cut. 